We have started a Christmas series uh, last week called Worth It All. And the idea of this series is that we find our worth in not the voice in our head or not the voices that come from outside of our head, but God's voice. And that God's voice and God's word is what determines our worth. And Christmas is the greatest shout from our Father that determines our worth because it was Christmas where he gave us the gift of his son and he said to us, we were worth it all. And he said to us, hey, I love you so much. You are my prized creation. I want to fix my relationship with you. I'm going to take my only son and have him give his life for you because you have so much value to me. You are worth it all. And so my heart is that during this Christmas season, as we're focusing here in the time of Advent on Jesus and his birth, that we wouldn't just merely celebrate him and say, wow, he's a cute baby that came and stayed in a manger, which it probably wasn't actually even a manger. We would say, wow, this Christmas is a statement of my self-worth, that I can be confident in my life, not maybe because of what others have said about me, not maybe because of what I've even said about me, but because this Birth of Jesus is a statement to me that I have tremendous worth to my father, that he would give for me his only son. While I sing he is worth it all, Christmas is a time he looks at me and says, yeah, but you were worth it all. And so we're going to be in this journey over the next several weeks, looking at different aspects of our life to discover more of our self-worth, not in the voices that are outside of us, not even the voice within our own mind, but according to the voice of our Father, according to the voice of our Creator. This morning, we're going to get more specific about that voice because we know voice is just sound, and a sound has meaning when the sounds line up in these things called words. And we know that words are powerful, and, and words that are spoken stick with us. There's an old saying you might have heard it before. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words may never hurt me. That is the greatest lie ever. <laughs> we all learned that statement when we were young. We said it over and over, maybe to a bigger brother or sister who was picking on us or someone in the schoolyard. Or we've repeated it frequently in our American society. And in fact, I tried to find the source of that saying. And they can only determine that it's an old saying because the first time that they saw it ever published in paper was in 1865. So probably at least it was going on even before that point. It, it's been a common saying that we have used over and over again, but in many ways I feel like it sets us up because we've been lied to. Because while, yes, sticks and stones may break my bones, those words, they sure as heck hurt me. <laughs> and in fact, they stick with me. In fact, I have probably made decisions about my trajectory and my future because of some of those words that have been said to me even when I was young. I would like to make a modification of the statement where it would read, sticks and stones may break my bones and words may never hurt me if I don't believe those words. (laughs) Because when we believe those words, those words carry weight in our minds and in our hearts. And many of us are making decisions for our life today, based on some of those early words spoken to us when we were children. In fact, the idea is that the tongue is one of the softest parts of the body, has no bone, yet it has the power to break the human heart. This fleshy tongue that that just helps arrange sound and breath coming out of our mouths has the power 
to determine someone's self-worth or our own self-worth. Words have power. Now, people have tried to discover and find out the understanding of why words have had power, and people have tried to do scientific tests on words and that sort of thing. And Dr. Masuru Emoto had an idea a number of decades ago to demonstrate the power of words. And so he collected a bunch of water, and he put, some, put all of it in these little vials, and these vials he separated. One side of the vials were vials that would be spoken over with positive words. In fact, he would label each vial according to a positive word. And then on the other side, he put vials of water, and those would be spoken over with negative words. And those two would be labeled. And so every day he'd walk into his office, he'd look at the one set of vials that meant to be positive and say, Oh, you little vial, you're so cute. Oh, little vial, you're so nice. Oh, little vial, I love you, little vial of water. And then he'd look at the other grouping of vials of water and go, Oh, little vial, you're such bad water. Oh, little vial, you're worth nothing. Oh, little vial, you're only toilet water. And after doing this for several months, I'm sure he didn't do it exactly like that. That's my interpretation. He took the water and he froze it to see if the water would, free, would take any kind of shape different according to the words that were spoken over it. Sure enough, as he froze the water that had been spoken positively over, each droplet of water formed beautiful, perfectly symmetric snowflakes. Then he looked at the other water, negative water, and when he froze that, it turned into blobs of disorder, not making any shape at all. Now, some might say, well, Matt, that's kind of ridiculous. And people did. They critiqued him about that. And so a new viral thing that's going on YouTube right now is the idea where he said, well, I can do the same with rice. So he soaked rice in two different canisters and spoke negatively over some rice and positively over the other rice. And he found the rice that he spoke negatively over grew, fungus grew faster on that rice than the other rice. (laughs) Of course, people are saying this might be a legend. But the truth of the matter is what he was trying to prove is that words have power. Now, people have tried to discover for years, and physicists only recently have begun to discover what keeps all the forces of nature together. What is the one thing that unifies the forces of nature? Gravity and nuclear and all the rest. And and when they've looked at this, they've come up with the theory that most physicists are believing in now. It's called string theory. And the idea is that all matter is held together by these vibrating strings, that you and I are held together by these vibrating strings. And that sound, this vibration on a certain frequency, creates the matter that you see, that everything that we would look at that's touched, that everything that we can hold is held together by this sound, this vibrating string. So people have looked at this, they've studied it. Physicists are falling in love with this theory because it links everything. But then it begs the question by most physicists is... Who started the first sound? Who made the first sound? What started the vibration that began to hold everything together? And everyone's talking about this. Well, I'm not sure. Maybe it wasn't there. Maybe it always existed. Well, it can't have always existed because we evolved. So something had to start from somewhere. What was the original sound? And then our Bible comes into play. Because interestingly enough, This ancient text written to a culture that was primarily illiterate actually carries truth in the answer to that very question. Genesis chapter 1, starting in verse 1. 
In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Hovering like vibration over the beginning of creation. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. That the very first thing that God did to build his creation was he spoke it into existence. That the first sound that came that started the vibration of the strings that would create everything that we see came from the word of God. Words have power. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. The sun radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God, and he sustains everything by the mighty power of his command. That the spoken command of Jesus is what holds everything into being. God's spoken word put creation into being. God could have looked at creation and said, start. God could look at creation and just waved his hand. God could look at creation and just pushed it. God could look at creation and just blew on it. But what did God do when he looked at creation? He spoke it into being. Why do words have power? Because humans were then made in his image. Humans were then made in his likeness which means we then have the same power to a degree, limited of course, to create life. We've been given that ability between a man and a woman to create a child. We've also been given that ability with our words. Humans have power to speak words into other humans' lives because it was a power given to us being made in the image of God and that same power he used to create all of reality. String theory is just a discovery of something we've known for thousands and thousands of years. And that is that God, his voice, is what holds everything into being. So words have weight. Words have power. And all of you sitting in this room this morning have had words spoken over you. Some of them have been positive. Some of them have been maybe seemingly meaningless. Some of them might have been negative. But those words have shaped your life. And you're probably where you are today because someone stepped into your life and said to you, wow, you really have an ear for music. You should consider doing that with your calling. And now you're in your 40s, a professional musician, because that one person said that to you decades earlier. That is the power of words. Some of you have struggled in your own skin because someone made a statement, a value statement of your life by your physical appearance. It wasn't positive. And ever since that time, at six years old, you've carried that and you still dread looking in the mirror every morning because you hear those same words playing over in your brain. Words have power. But here's the amazing thing about Christmas. Jesus stepped into creation to take the word of God as flesh and then use his own voice to give us a new set of words that we can live accordingly. And now in Christ, we can find a new set of words to repeat in our brains. And those set of words say to us, we were worth everything. Now I took some time 
reading and researching and thinking of myself over this last week of words that have been impactful in my life and potentially impactful in your life, producing some maybe fruit, but maybe some not producing so much fruit in our life. As I began to make that list, it got very, very, very long. And alas, I only have 14 minutes and 16 seconds left, and I can't share them all with you. So I boiled it down to three. These are three statements that I feel have been consistent in my life, or three statements that I feel in humans' lives have been consistent. And because of these statements we repeat in our brains, they don't always produce very good fruit in our lives. And I want to share with you what God's word would have to say about those specific statements. Why? So we could walk out of here repeating God's words in our mind, not the words that we think we've heard or the words that we tell ourselves. The first set of words are, I am not good enough. I am not good enough. My wife grew up as a second generation Korean American. That meant Korean American. That meant her parents immigrated from here to Korea and she was born here in Los Angeles. As a person growing up to a family of immigrants, there was a tremendous pressure to prove their worth to be here in America. So her parents told her every waking moment of her life, you need to become a doctor or a wealthy businesswoman. That's it. We won't accept anything less. You can't play with your friends. You can't do extracurricular activities except maybe the violin. You can't do anything else. You need to study, study, study because you need to prove for our family that you are the best. And constantly what my wife learned was actually she never measured up. She was never good enough. She never could attain what they wanted her to attain. As she got older into her adult life, she became exhausted from the constant striving to prove herself as being worthy, to prove herself as being good enough, and eventually that led to burnout in her life. When we don't feel that we're good enough, we create a constant striving in our life, and we end up burning ourselves out. For some of us, we don't feel we're good enough. We don't feel like we're comfortable being around other people. We don't feel that our words have weight to anyone's life, and so we don't want to speak it. For some of us, when that happens, we just pull back and kind of shell into ourselves and depression sets in. For other of us, we might get aggravated and go on the offensive where we're convinced we're even better and worthy of everyone's presence. We're more than good enough. And we walk into that room and when you don't realize that I'm more than good enough, then this party's horrible. You did something wrong, not me. Because don't you know I'm more than good enough? And you better watch what you say to me because I am the cream of the crop. I don't talk like that normally. I don't even know where that came from. It's only the service. Tried full cream of the crop. What does that even mean? Maybe best things in sliced bread is better. That sounds more my personality. But there's this deep knowing inside of myself because of a comment someone said to me because of lack of encouraging words from a family member. Whatever it may be, I developed this tape in my mind that says I am not good enough. Well, Christ has something to say about that. And Christ stepped into creation on Christmas Day to determine our worth, saying we were worth it all. And then Paul and others began to pray over those statements and realize what God was communicating by his presence. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, Paul says to the Ephesians, For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. So we can do the good things he's planned for us long ago. Paul's saying, listen, you are his workmanship. You are his masterpiece. Of course, if you're feeling like you're not in yourself, 
we get that because it's not in yourself that you're that. You're that in Christ. In finding your worth in him. Not finding in your worth in the things you think you think about yourself. Not finding your worth in the things that others say about you. But when you find your worth in Christ, then you are able to become his masterpiece. Then you are able to accomplish the good works he's planned for you since the beginning of time. Stop trying to make yourself good enough on your own strength according to those words because it will never work. You will only find yourself good enough in Christ. Second set of words that kind of came to my mind is the idea that no one accepts me. That can be translated a bunch of ways. No one values me. No one loves me. This idea of no one accepting me puts me in a position typically on the defensive when I move into a room of people. It's probably the one thing that for some of you, you've you've had rooted inside of you for whatever reason, that then when you walk into a room of people, you automatically start interpreting their weird looks as trying to tell you you shouldn't be there. They've never said that, but they're saying it with their eyes. (laughs) And you start making judgments off that, like I'm not going to stick around at this family Christmas party because I know what mom's thinking. She looked at me just like that. Little did you know mom was looking like that because her back was itching and she couldn't get to it right then. But you're like, oh, I saw the look. I'm out of here. I already know I'm not accepted. And those tapes play over and over in your mind. That's determined your worth. And so you step into that room and you don't feel like you can be there. You don't feel like you're accepted. You get discouraged by a text message from a friend because there wasn't enough emoticons in it. They put too many periods. They clearly were making a statement to you that you're not welcome. Well, can I come? Sure. Oh my gosh, you said sure. I'm not going to come. You even put a period there. No smiley face, no happy hands, no praying, nothing. You clearly don't want me there. No, I was just driving and I shouldn't have been texting and I said, sure. No, you didn't. You don't want me there. Where were the angel wings of that one? Where were the heart eyes shaped and what account of that one? And we automatically judge what's happening because we're automatically living according to these words in our mind that say, I'm not accepted. I'm not loved. Now, for some of you, you don't get that way. You just get on the aggressive side. You walk into the room and demand that people accept you, and that just gets awkward. Because you're the loudest one in the room. You're dominating the conversation. You're letting people know that if they don't value you, then there's something wrong with them because surely they should value you because you're the best thing ever. That's not where we should get our acceptance from anymore. Where we should get our acceptance from is from God. We read a story of Joseph and wanting to break the engagement off because of the situation with Mary and becoming pregnant and then learning that that pregnancy was actually from the Lord. And I want to repeat something from that reading, Matthew chapter 1, kind of skipping down to verse 21. And she will have a son, and you are to name, you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. You are not alone. God is with you. You are not unloved. God is with you. You are not rejected. God is with you. You are not friendless. God is with you. That's what we need to repeat to ourselves, that God felt that I was worthy enough to come and 
be with me. I'm never by myself. I'm never rejected by him. I'm always accepted by him. And if I can determine my self-worth by his acceptance and his presence, then the words and facial expressions and text messages of those around us don't affect me anymore. Because I'm not trying to get my worth from their acceptance. If they accept me, accept me, that's awesome. If they love me, great. But my mood and my actions are not determined by the circumstance that I'm in and if humans are accepting with the words or not. My mood is determined by the fact that God has accepted me. God has loved me. God has deemed me worth it all. Third and lastly, the words that maybe echo in a lot of our minds are the simple words of, I can't. Matt, I can't live the way you're talking about. I can't remember those words because of who I am and where I've come from. I feel a big part of my job here at Capitol Beach Church is to stand in front of you and try to inspire you and encourage you with a new set of words. A new set of words that you can hear when you come in here once a week to be inspired to discover that your worth is not found in what your boss says about you, what your mom says about you, what your spouse says about you. Your worth is found in what God says about you. And that gives you the ability to understand, well, actually, I can do things in my life, not because of what people have said about me, but because of what God has said about me. It's fascinating. When you look at the stories of Jesus as you journey with him through the Gospels, oftentimes he'll question the person who needs the miracle. And oftentimes in their questioning, they'll respond these words, I can't. John chapter 5, verses 1 through 9. Afterward, Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holy days. Inside the city near Sheep Gate was a pool Bethsaida with five covered porches. Crowds of sick people, blind, lame, or paralyzed, lay on the porches. One of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years. When Jesus saw him, he knew he had been ill for a long time, and he asked him, Would you like to get well? I can't, sir, the sick man said, for I have no one to put me into the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone else always gets there ahead of me. Jesus told him, stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. Instantly, the man was healed. He rolled up his mat and began walking. You might not be able to do it, but that's okay, because Jesus can. That that man did not have the ability to get himself into the water. In fact, the fact that Jesus even asked that question, it's like, what do you mean? Of course I want to get well. But it wasn't going to happen by the man's power. It wasn't going to happen by just by what the people said about that man. It was going to happen by the word of Jesus. We have the capacity to see God do things in our lives we didn't think possible because they're being done by him, not by us. What's our job? Surrender. What's our job? Surrender. When we lay down our strength, when we lay down our focus on the negative words in our life, and we choose to take time to focus on what he has to say about us, guess what? We begin to produce fruit. We begin to be the branch that finds him to be the vine that we lock ourselves into, and all of a sudden we produce fruit. Not because of us, because of him. When we have an understanding that we are good enough because God says so, and we have an understanding that we are accepted because God is among us, and we have an understanding that we can because Jesus can, it sets us free from the other words trying to determine our worth. And what does that do? That gives us the ability to speak life into other people's lives. 
Because we're not walking into the room hoping for the encouragement. We already found ourselves. We've already matured in ourselves according to what God has said about us. So I, my happiness, my joy, my value is not determined by what you say about me. It's determined by what the Father says about me. He said I was worth it all. Because I have my worth in him, I can step in this room and guess what I can do? I can speak life over you. I don't have to be the father that spoke negative things that I heard from my dad. I can be a different father because I found a father that's spoken life over me. When I find the worth in that, guess what I have the ability to do? I can speak life into my children now. I don't have to be subjected to past the relationship of my parents and see how my mom and dad interacted and fighting. That's what I learned. No, I can do something different because I have a new set of words that I can align my life with. I can do something new because I'm being made a new creation, not by my own strength, but in Christ Jesus. Christmas shouts to us that we have value, that we've been accepted. Christmas shouts to us that we are enough. And Christmas shouts to us that we can because he will do it through us because Christmas shouts to us we were worth it all. Let's pray.